If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I am so glad you're here. Today we have a great episode. Today I am joined with Jim Lee, who is a pastor and therapist and wears so many different hats, I don't even know where to start. But we have the best conversation today that you are going to walk away feeling like you've had a therapy session. That's how I felt after we were done with the interview. It's fantastic. We're going to cover topics like spiritual abuse and how to heal when you've been hurt inside a faith community or hurt inside a friendship community and how to to process and handle trauma, what to do with anger that you deal with with God, how to find safe people, how to build a new safe community, and this whole fascinating psychology behind energy healing, which is this process where our body actually stores trauma and how we can access that trauma and be free from it. It's a fascinating conversation, a wonderful episode, and I am so glad you've joined us. And before I bring Jim on, I have to tell you guys that I am loving this podcast, but what I'm loving most about it is how I get to connect with you guys. I know I plug every week the Behind the Mirror Facebook group, which is so life-giving to me and I'm sure to those inside of it because it's it's all based on this idea of being transparent and being honest and being vulnerable and connecting with each other. And I would love for you to be a part of it. If you're not already in it, you can go to my website and opt in at justajesusfollower.com backslash podcast backslash podcast group. You can opt in there. And even if you're not in that and you just join us here, I love having you here. So please know that I do this for you. I bring you these episodes because I want you to have those honest, real connecting conversations. And oftentimes it starts with an episode like this where we're just, you know, we're peeling back the layers and we're just being raw, we're being real, and we're inviting each other into that space. And then you get to take that with you into your space. So I love you all and I love this work. And I am super, super stoked about the episode today. So without any further ado, here we go.
welcome back to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to our guest today. Today we have Jim Lee. He is a husband, father, pastor, and counselor, and he and his wife will be celebrating 26 years of marriage this summer. They share three sons, 17, 15, and 13, and currently he serves as the spiritual formation pastor of a larger non-denominational church in Kansas City. Three years ago, he started an LLC called Lee Inner Fitness, which is a counseling and life coaching business where he helps people from all different backgrounds. And he also serves as a trainer for the Splunkna Therapy Institute, which is a Christian mind and body protocol for energy psychology. His passion is helping people overcome emotional and spiritual hurdles in their lives so they can find their purpose and make a difference. Jim, what an intro. Say hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, we are so grateful to have you with us so you can share all of your wisdom. And and I look at your bio and I'm filled with a thousand questions. But first of all, how did you decide on this path? How did you land in this field? Well, you know, I have um, from an early age been exposed in the church world. And I'll tell you, I, I can still remember, um, I don't know if I was probably in my early teens and uh, experiencing some frustrations with church. And because uh, back in those days, and this was many days ago because I'm 49 now, but back in those days, um, I was very frustrated with uh, what I wasn't seeing happen in the church. And what I read in the scriptures didn't line up with what I saw happening. And so uh, my dad happened to be uh, the minister of the church, and I can still remember it was uh, on a Sunday after church at the Sunday after church meal that we always had as a family. And I remember saying, Dad, how come, um, you know, what the Bible teaches and what we experience are so different? And, you know, that kind of got me down a path of a, a lot of frustration to begin with, with um, the church. And, and I can still remember graduating my senior year, somebody asked me, you know, what do you want to do? You know, when you graduate high school, you go off to college, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't know what I want to do, but I definitely know what I don't want to do. Um, I definitely know that I would never be a teacher and I would never, ever be a preacher. And so what's ironic about that is that uh, upon graduating college, I spent six years as a math teacher, athletic director at Paseo Academy in Kansas City. And for the last 20 years, I'll be celebrating 20 years of full-time ministry this June at the current church that I'm at. So it's been wow. quite an interesting journey for me. I would say so. And, you know, I think a lot of my audience is nodding their heads in agreement with a lot of what you said. Um, a lot of my listeners have, I don't know how I would put this... Some of them like the words deconstruction. Some people have a lot of negative feelings around that word. But I would say a lot of my listeners are going through a season of transition. And like you said, they've seen things in the church that don't mirror what they read in Scripture we're supposed to be behaving like. And they look at the life of Jesus and they say, oh my goodness, nothing that I have seen in spiritual leaders, if you will, in my life line up with this. And especially the people that I was involved with, they don't line up with this um, good, loving, warm, good news gospel type of lifestyle. So when you say that you, you went through this season where you started questioning, 
you know, how the church did not line up with what you thought it should line up with. Um, I think a lot of people get stuck there. And it sounds like you found a way to move through being stuck and not lose your faith altogether, but make it through to a place of of wholeness on the other side. So could you expand a little bit on that process? Well, well the problem that we, we have is, is the problem between what, what is culture and what is scripture. And that's a very blurred uh, thing at times. And so it's hard for us to distinguish and, and think, okay, is what we're experiencing right now in American Christianity and all these different facets is this truly scriptural, or is just, or is this just, uh, in some cases, a convoluted attempt at doing what is scriptural? And so, you know, I came to the conclusion that um, sure, there's lots of great things that that we do, and at the same time, there's some really important things uh, that we don't do. And so, it's it's interesting. I would say, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm 49 years old, but um, I would say I've grown more in the last four years than I had in the 20 years prior to that altogether. And wow, and it's a really exciting thing. And so, um, basically, when we look at what the Bible says about healing, and we look at you know how we go about trying to accomplish that, I'll give you just an example of how my views have changed in the last four years. So, four years ago, if you had quoted James five sixteen to me, it says, you know, confess your faults, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you can be healed. And back then. And especially for the 20 years prior to that, uh, the way I would have interpreted that is, oh, do you have some big sin problem? Are you struggling really bad somehow, some way? Well, how long have you been struggling? And you might say, right. it's been two or three years. And I would say, you know, well, you know what? You might want to go talk to somebody about it. And what I now believe about James 5.16, for example, is that, you know, we're supposed to be in very vulnerable relationships where we share our heart of hearts with safe people. And we see that that is a huge key to us being transformed. Mm. So there's been lots of ways that I have kind of uh, continued to grow. And that's one way that I've grown. I'd say that's in the last seven years. But the other way that I've really come to grow is in the area of this Christian energy psychology. So, um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a trainer for the Splunkna Therapy Institute. It's based out of Denver. And what energy psychology is, in essence, is an acknowledgement that there's more going on scientifically than what Western Christians want to believe. And so uh. the theory is that uh, at the quantum level, we experience um, a substance to our emotion. Emotion is not just a, an idea that passes through our brain, um, but emotion actually has a substance to it, and that gets stuck in our bodies, not just our brains. Wow. Okay, I am I'm jumping up and down inside so much right now. You can't see it because you can't see me, but I'm like doing cartwheels right now because you have hit on so many things that I am just passionate about myself. And oftentimes I don't know exactly the language to put to what I know is true. Does that make sense? You know, I think we hear things and we're like, yes, I've known that all along, but I didn't have language to put to it. And you just beautifully put language to so much that I've experienced personally and how much I've just know innately to be true. And the first thing you said, which grabbed my attention was the vulnerability piece. 
because having grown up in church myself, and I was a pastor myself also, vulnerability is not something that is normalized in a lot of faith communities, which is so backwards because <laughs> Jesus like lived in this space of vulnerability. Um, so when you say having safe relationships and being vulnerable in relationships, I think a lot of people, including myself, we don't know how to identify a safe relationship. And that tends to be a lot of the problems. Yes, I agree. I agree. So how would you, do you have pointers? I do have some pointers for that. You know, um, I believe that a safe relationship, I think, first of all, I think we need training in this a little bit. And, you know, I'm not, we don't need more than, you know, several minutes of training in some cases and other cases, you know, this in the particular individual may never be a safe person, but, but here's some right. ways to being a safe person. Um, and, and this is something that, that I'll teach to some of our group leaders. Um, and it's completely contrary to Western Christianity. And here's one of the pointers, no advice allowed. Oh my gosh. I love that one. Yes. I need that on a bumper sticker. Yeah, no advice <laughs> allowed because what's interesting is that we all think that we're being so helpful by giving people pointers. And, you know, for, for example, I, I think about, you know, I'll make up a, a silly story, but let's say that the Anna, you come back from quick trip and uh, you had a weak moment and you stole a Snickers, you stole a Snickers candy bar and you're coming into your, your friends and you're like, um, Oh, I had a weak moment. I, I stole a Snickers candy bar and I feel so horrible. I feel so guilty. Shame, 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 shame. I just feel horrible. And then let's say your friends come back and say, well, Anna, you, you know what the Bible says? I mean, turn, wait, wait a second. Do you have your Bible? Turn to Exodus chapter 20. It says right there, thou shalt not steal. So, so Anna, you know what the Bible says. Now, why would you go against what the Bible says? Now, that right. may, it may seem really helpful to, to some church going people. It's actually the worst possible thing you can possibly do. And the reason mm -hmm. for that is that Anna is already in this made up situation. She's already showing herself vulnerable. She's already admitting her struggle, which if, if she didn't know it was wrong, she wouldn't have been confessing it. She wouldn't feel bad about it. So for me to say, you know, to, to, to lump more on top of the guilt she already feels, what it does ironically is it forces Anna to further isolate herself which ironically takes her deeper into her brokenness. Mm. And so what we have to do is we have to bring the guards and we have to take the advice away. We have to be there and really do what the Bible says. And this is something that I think as Western Christians, many of us don't really grab this, but or grasp this, but um, you know, rejoice with them that rejoice, weep with them that weep. Like in other words, be with people where they are. That's the key. Right. Be with people where they are. And when we can be with people where they are, then we create a space where it's okay for me to be where I am. And then if it's okay for me to be where I am, and then it's okay for me to be vulnerable, now I put myself in a position to receive grace. Grace, by, by definition, is unconditional love in the midst of failure. Grace mm. is how we grow. So... If you don't put yourself, if you're not in a position where you can be vulnerable because maybe you're afraid of being judged, or I like to say it this way, or maybe you're afraid of being shitted on. Okay? That's another thing. So if, if you're in that position, then you're not going to be vulnerable, which means you're not going to be able to 
uh, access grace, which means you're not going to be able to grow. Mm. Gosh, that's so good. That is so good. And you know, oftentimes when people say they don't feel safe, they're usually just, oh, well, they're being too emotional. They're being too sensitive. That's usually what they hear in return. Um, and, and that in and of itself is a sense of shaming. But I think a lot of people don't have verbiage to say why a relationship doesn't feel safe. And so could you maybe give us some, some terminology to put words to that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think some of the things that we talk about, which has to do with um, vulnerability and bringing what's been buried, bringing it out into the light. Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting when you go to, for example, a, uh, a nursing home, and I've been to many nursing homes, but when you go to nursing homes, you know, what I've found is often there's two very distinct groups of people in a nursing home. And one group is the group that is this the kindest, most loving, honey, you come here and you sit down by me and you just let me hear about, and there's just all this sweetness and all this love. And there's another group um, that, that also, that tends to be highly volatile. But when you listen to uh, what they say, you hear things like my kids never come see me, or you hear some of these things. And what I believe is that um, that could be and often is a result of a life where they weren't allowed to bring their true selves out into the light. Because I believe we all in our DNA have a need and desire to be truly known and truly loved. And mm-hmm. if you're not fully known and fully loved, um, then you are not being and becoming who God has always intended you to be. And so what, here's what happens. Um, you say, well, I feel really loved. I'm just not fully known. Well, you, you can't be fully known and only partly loved. So, so we have to have people that we have in our lives that we can share completely everything about ourselves. And, and I'll tell you one of the things that I love, there's, a, there's an assignment that um, sometimes we give people. And, and that assignment is, I want you to go find a safe person. And I want you to tell that person every single horrible thing that you've ever done. But it's got to be a safe person. Because what we find is that we all recoil into this place of shame. We all recoil in this place of safety, which further isolates our heart, which prevents us from the freedom that we're supposed to have. Right. And I feel like when we don't have that freedom, we just go around shaming everybody else and making sure they're not free either. Yeah, exactly (laughs) right. Hurting people hurt people for sure. Yes. And then you get stuck in these cycles of friendships and family relationships and church relationships and what have you that are just constantly, like you said, feeling unseen and unknown and unloved. And I think that a lot of people now, especially a lot of my listeners, that's the feedback I get is they're all in this awakening of, I can't live like this. Like my body, my mind, my heart cannot keep going at this pace. It's not good. And you'd you'd mentioned earlier um, the energy healing. And could you expand a little bit about that? Because from my understanding, just from the brief brief bit that you shared, 
this has to do with our body. Is that correct? That, that's correct. And here's one other thing I want to say before I get too far into that too, that kind of relates to all this. And, you know, if you think about how, you know, we typically, many of us typically would, would deal with trauma or deal with difficulty. And I would say the older the generation that you're talking about, the more this is, is true. But I think this is always true, you know, regardless tr- uh, of the generation we're talking about. But, you know, the, the typical way that we deal with trauma when something bad happens to us is we typically um, put down about three inches of asphalt and we just keep going. <laughs> and then something else happens. And then we just put three inches, three more inches of asphalt on. And we just keep going. And then hmm. when you get in somewhere around your late 30s, or early 40s, this is this is the theory. This is my theory. Um, basically, you run out of room for asphalt. And all of a sudden, you find yourself, like I did at 40 years old, a pastor at 40 years old, where I was having a hard time getting out of bed. And I couldn't figure out why. And I think a lot of us, we kind of hit that point, and and we'll call it midlife crisis or whatever we'll call it. Uh, But we hit these major roadblocks in our lives, and we don't recognize or realize that this is really a function of unhealthy processing of our trauma. And so, and so what energy psychology does um, and what Christian energy psychology does specifically is it allows us to isolate um, the source of the trauma and provide more context for that trauma, find out where in the body's system um, this is stuck and then it gives us a way that we can release that trauma. And what's mm. what's fascinating and exciting about this is this is not a, um, you know, meet with me once a week for the next 25 years and hopefully we'll get somewhere type of, of gig. This is a often a, an immediate fix to many different problems that we face in our lives. Wow. So... And I'm and I'm coming at this from. I have so many different questions for you. You're just this is a fascinating conversation. But using my own um, identifiers with what you're talking about, I know in my own experience when I have been in situations that felt unsafe um, in later in life, especially within church communities, places where you are told you are safe, but yet you're feeling unsafe. Um, and this happens a lot in families too. But I'm just using a blanket example, what you're saying is these situations can trigger and relive some of our traumas that we may have experienced way back underneath all that asphalt and our bodies remember that is, am I understanding? Okay. That's, that's exactly, exactly, exactly correct. And, and, but here's the part that I want to make sure that our listeners understand when you originally experienced that trauma, let's say something from two years old or five years old or 12 years old or 20 years old or whatever it was, there is actually, the theory is that there is a physiological imprint of that emotion that gets stuck in your person. Wow. Okay. Now, now here's what's, what's interesting about this. So, so then just like you described, let's say that um, now 20 years later, You find yourself in a situation that triggers it. What you're actually triggering is you're triggering that physiological response. Mm. Okay, so so the reason why this is so effective is because what we're actually going after is we're going after the the, kind of two two sides of, of, 
of this of this issue. We're going after it from a physiological side. We're going after that 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 store, if you will, of emotion, and we're also going from it going at it from a spiritual side as well. And both sides meet in the middle towards the emotional wellness of the individual. Mm. So how would how would one identify that that trauma is being triggered? Because I know for myself, I, I mean, it wasn't until recently I started noticing, you know, if someone, um, for instance, if a man looks at me a certain way, like my body starts to freak out. And it's not, mm. and it's not that it's anything overt and it's so normalized in my everyday life. I didn't even know that it was anything to pay attention to until I really started being introspective in these last few years going, okay, why do I do that? And that's when I kind of started peeling back my layers. So how do we, how do we identify things that are popping up? Cause a lot of this, this trauma response stuff that so many of us carry we, we really think it's normal. <laughs> like we don't know that, exactly. that this isn't normal. Exactly. And I think part of that is just through living life. I'll tell you, so let me tell you what happened to me, which was kind of a funny, interesting thing. Um, I was 40 years old um, and I was in a meeting with a group of pastors. And one of the pastors said something um, and we were kind of talking about my future and where we were headed and, and whatever else with some of the ministries that I was giving oversight to. And I completely lost it in the meeting. And I was, I was literally pounding my hand on the table and pointing my finger. And I felt like I was completely and in every way justified for that response because wouldn't anybody and everybody respond that way after they had heard that disrespectful thing that I had just heard? Well, the answer to the question is no. Most people wouldn't have reacted the way I reacted. There, that's where I had a trigger. And so you kind of, in order to, to there's, there's two, two answers to your question that I have. One is that you identify by living life and noticing where you have an exorbitant amount of extra fuel behind certain traumas and situations. Mm. That's one way. So you're in a relationship and you're talking to someone and, and your reaction um, um, is very clearly greater than what you know it should be. Like, why did you become so sad? Or why did you become so depressed so quickly? Or why did you become so angry like I did? Um, why the extreme responses? Because let's say on a scale of one to 10, a normal response would be a four. My response with the anger was an 8.2. So the big question is, well, why the extra 4.2 for Jim? And there's there's reasons for that, that we could go after. So part of what I want to say to you as far as, you know, how do you, how do you find these things out? How do you discover these things? One is you live life and you see where there are spikes of emotional activity. And, and that's one way that you can know there's something going on. The other way is through part of one of the techniques that I utilize in the process is through applied kinesiology. And applied kinesiology is basically a muscle test where you help the person discover um, more of those underlying spikes. Now, some of the, one of the interesting things about some of the underlying spikes is that sometimes you know, there is no outward manifestation, or sometimes the way you described it was perfect, Anna, because um, this is how I live my life. I don't know any different. Isn't this normal for everybody? And the answer is no, it's not normal for everybody. But when you do the work and you isolate and you find trauma in somebody's system and then you release it, 
Well, then the person walks away with an inexplicable amount of peace and rest and settledness that they didn't even know was possible. Wow. And so it's through the process and it's through life to wrap that up with a bow on top that you find out where the key areas are that you need to grow in. So once you say you figure out, okay, I have using, I'll use my example again. I'm realizing I respond this way when, when authoritative man is in the room, my body starts to shake or I can't make eye contact or what have you, then what do you do with that? You know, if we don't have access to someone who does the type of work that you do, what are some things we can do on our own to kind of start that process? Well, one of the things that I would do for sure is I would uh, find a safe person and I'd begin to process that. Um, That's one thing that I would do. There's other things that I would do that are just can be really, really, really helpful. Um, And that is if you could just quiet yourself down and sometimes this isn't possible for some people, but, but if you can quiet yourself down and you can just pray a simple prayer and say, God, I've got something going on in my life and I don't know, understand why or what it is. Would you just begin to speak to my heart and help me to understand? I was doing a a session earlier today with a young lady who um, we were collecting data from the testing and she started making all these connections and then she started crying and she was so blown away because these were thoughts that she hadn't had in the longest time. But I believe that one of the reasons why she started connecting these dots and discovering these things was simply because we prayed and we just asked God to reveal that to us along the way. And so that's another thing that I would do is I would just continue to invite God in, into it because, you know, that, usually that's the last thing that we do. Usually what we do when we have trauma that we don't want to feel is we seek to medicate it right. um, or we just or or we just pretend like it's not there. Mm-hmm. And those are both extremes that aren't helpful. The, the best route is a middle route, which is a invite God into it. Ask God to enter into that. Ask God to reveal what's happening in your heart and why you're re- reacting this way. And, and then to have people around you. And remember, James 5.16 again, it says, confess those faults to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. No, it's a great answer. And I, um, one of my favorite passages is the be still and know that I am God. And I that has become such a mantra for me because when I am underwater with my own stuff that I'm working through that, that's my, that's my sanctuary. Mm. It's that being still and just knowing that he's there and I can connect. And, and you're right. A lot of my um, deepest work has happened in those moments, but you know, I hear a lot of people listening to this in my head, I can hear their response already. They're bristling at that because they're like, no, 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 no. But I'm, angry at God. I don't want to talk to God because I, whether I want to admit it or not, I'm blaming him for this trauma that I've already gone through that now I don't know what to do with. So where does someone start if they're in that position? Well, I think that it's really helpful um, to do what I did. Uh, (laughs) Years ago, my wife and I, so we were married for the first eight years of our marriage without children. We're totally probably couldn't have children. And then miraculously, miraculously, we got pregnant. We were so excited and we finally got to that first trimester and we thought, okay, it's safe to tell people now. So we told people um, at church and whatnot. And it was about a week later that we lost the pregnancy. And 
And mm. so it was so horrible because it's like God had answered all these prayers. And we even had people come up to us at church and say, we've been praying for you for four years that you would have kids. And, and uh, oh, God's answered our prayers. And we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. God's answered our prayers. This, this is great. And then to lose the baby uh, a week later. And so one of the mm. things I did was I found some woods behind my house. And I walked out in those woods and I cried out to God and I let him know that I was upset. Um, you know, God is a, is, is a big boy and he can take, he can take our anger. And I think the reason why the scriptures say that David was a man after God's own heart was because David was so crazy honest. And so I think if you, if you're finding your place there and you find yourself mad at God, um, I think a great place to start is to be honest about that and find some place to go yell at God. Mm. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll tell you this too, as I do my work, one of the things that often comes up is people that are uh, struggling with being mad at God. And it's just a regular, it happens, it happens weekly. And I would say sometimes daily where I'm working with different people and they'll come in. And one of the things that's keeping them stuck is that anger towards God. So we all deal with that at different levels because of different situations. And we got, we have to start where we are. So pretending like we're someplace different, that's not helpful. Um, Shutting God off. That's not helpful. That doesn't get us anywhere either. So it's like lean in and start there. And know that you're okay to be mad. And I think a lot of people have not been given that permission and that's, that's a hard hurdle for some people to get over. But I think if you're able to move into that space where like you, like you said with David, where you have free reign to scream everything you feel and to shout and throw a tantrum or cry or be really mad, God is, he doesn't abandon you in that moment. And I think a lot of people, Mm -hmm. that's their fear is that that's going to be what breaks that relationship. That will be your final doomsday moment is when you get pissed off at God. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, but you know, God actually loves that because, you know, you think about what the, what were, why the Pharisees are so uh, spoken against in the scriptures. and, And it's because what they portrayed was not congruent with what they were in their hearts. Right. And so, and so that's where the problem is. And, and you're right, you know, um, Christianity, many times we're taught to put on a facade. We're, we're taught to play a part. We're taught to wear another face. And that's not only unhealthy, but it's, um, it's unholy mm-hmm. because God wants us to be where we are. Right. And, and, and to express where, where our hearts truly find themselves. And, you know, too, this leads into, um, I think, a lot of what, what I see with people who are in what you referenced earlier, the deconstruction phase um, or even just a transition of faith is they have been the victims of horrific behavior at the hands Mm. of quote unquote godly people. And so there's this weird line that gets blurred for a lot of people in their trauma that includes people doing things under the umbrella of, well, this is godly. So sit here and take it whether it's being, you know, publicly shamed or condemned and had, you know, the Bible thrown at them. I know a lot of people have, have experienced so much hurt and pain through situations like that. And so, you know, we talk about healing from trauma and moving into 
safer communities. But you know, they have to heal from trauma and in a safe and move into a safer relationship with God too. It's like these two kind of go hand in hand because for someone who's experienced spiritual trauma, you've got both of those going at the same time. So, um, how do you, how do you differentiate that? What would you say to someone who's really struggling to separate those two things? Well, I would say the key to connecting with God is connecting with people. And so, um, people are the bridge. And, and I want you to think about it in these terms. So all of us have this default a perception of God that comes from our earthly fathers. Now, sometimes we don't like to admit that, and I've heard people deny that. Um, but if you give me time enough to probe with them and ask them enough questions, they usually begin to understand that and, and adopt that. But if you think about, you know, when we adopt and we experience um, these interactions with parents, especially with our earthly fathers, when we begin to adopt that in our hearts, we begin to project that onto who God is. And so, so if that's true, and I believe it is true, but if that's true, the way out of that is for new people to come along and to help deconstruct that position and that experience. And what's critical is that it's experience related. In other words, the we only learn um, at the heart level, we only learn by experience. And so isn't it interesting that Jesus said, you know, they'll, you'll, they'll know that you're my disciples if you have correct theology one with another. He didn't say that, did he? No. And so he said, you're, you're going to, they're going to know that you're for real if you have love one for another. If they experience that love, that's how they'll know. And so the way through that, the pathway through that is people. And so it kind of goes back to save people again, doesn't it? Because um, people are the key to, to bring us to new places. That's so good. That's so good and so true. And um, I, I think a lot of people want that. Um, but they, you know, if you've been in one community for decades, and these are the only people that you and your family know, it can be very scary to branch out and find a new community. So putting on your therapist hat, what would you say to someone sitting in front of you saying, I want that. I want safe people. I want to rebuild, but I don't know where to start. And what I would say is begin to take baby steps and baby steps could be uh, going to see someone to help you walk through certain things because some people they're just not used to having that level of vulnerability. And so if they have someone they can go see, a counselor, a therapist, whoever, um, and then they can begin to get, you know, dip their toe in the water, so to speak, and get to a place where they can begin to open up. And then over time, then there's, there's groups all over Kansas City. There's, there's, there's thousands of them, literally thousands of them, where you know, with a little bit of investigation, you, you can begin to um, discover, and with some help from some trusted friends, some trusted others in your life, um, you can begin to find those communities and then see where those go. But, you know, I'm a proponent that everybody needs a life team. And so for me, what a life team is, is it's, it's a group that I chose. Um, and it's the people that I chose. And I meet with them every Tuesday at 3.30. And so it's, it's, on, it's on my calendar. 
Um, it's people that I admire, people that um, I want to spend time with. And uh, for those people that say, well, I would love to do that. I just don't have any people that will well, then, um, you know, look around or, or ask or email or whatever. And, you know, between the two of us, we can help you find um, a place to at least start mm. and, and to connect with some, some safe people. That's good. And you know, it takes, it takes vulnerability to do, to do that. So even someone being brave enough to put themselves in a position to have that conversation, they're already one step there. They're already one step towards that freedom because it, it takes vulnerability to admit that you need people. And for a lot of us, even that was a huge, you know, light bulb moment to be able to say that out loud that I can't do this on my own. It's not healthy and I need a safe group of community around me. And, um, and I think people forget that that in and of itself is a big victory and you're already moving towards what you want. That's a great point. I want to get back to this whole um, trauma being stored in the body thing, because this is, and I think you even mentioned, you know, there's science backing this up. There's so much information about how our bodies experience trauma and how trauma is triggered. Um, I think I heard you talking possibly on another interview about even like pre-birth trauma. So I'm, I'm guessing just from what I've pieced together from what you've said that there can be so many underlying traumas that we're unaware of and, and our bodies are storing them like a thumbprint in, inside of us as to how we are almost programmed to respond to certain things in life. Am I, am I right? That's exactly right. Okay. So how do you, it's fascinating to me that our, I mean, our bodies are just brilliant. All of this fascinates me. So what would be an, a common example of that? Just so we have like a, 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 a frame to put around this as to what this could look like. Well, I'll, I'll tell you about a session that I did. Um, this has been a few months ago now, but I had a woman in her early sixties who came in to see me for her fear of heights. Um, so, you know, if we were going to deal with this issue with traditional therapy, you know, you know, we might have 20 sessions or a hundred sessions or a thousand sessions. And what we might try to do is we might try to help the person discover, you know, one step at a time, so to speak, um, that heights are safe. And so as I worked with this lady, though, um, what we're able to do is we're able to isolate uh, very specifically when this fear began. And for her, it began when she was a very, very young age, like four or five years old. Mm. And um, sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with a problem like this, it might be, you know, when you're a child and you fell out of your top bunk or things of that nature. For her, um, it was something similar to that, but a little bit different. But the bottom line is that we found the source and the, um, the, the, the place in her system. Um, and we describe these as, you know, meridians in our bodies, right? Or, or acupoints. Um, we basically utilize the same uh, points that an acupuncturist uses, the same meridian points, the same acupoints. Mm. That's where we store these emotions. When, and then we're able to uh, utilize the applied kinesiology to find out where specifically that is stored. And then we apply a scientific principle called Feinstein's Limbic System Theory. And Feinstein's Limbic System Theory says, in essence, that you're able to reprogram how the amygdala responds to hyperarousal. So that would be like an example of PTSD. So somebody comes back from Afghanistan and 
um, you know, while they're in Afghanistan, they're, they have a heightened sense within their, within their systems uh, to stay alive, to stay safe. The problem is that when they're in that state for so long and they leave that state, the amygdala stays in that state of hyperarousal. Now you say, well, that's PTSD. That's, that's Afga- Afghanistan. Here's what I would say. I would say that is everyone in different arenas of their own brokenness. Mm. That's everyone. And so with this particular lady, we found out where it was. And literally in one session, literally in one session, she was completely free from her fear of heights. Wow. And she was, she was so excited. She came to see me later and she had to come in my office and she said, I've got to tell you what happened. And I said, what? And she goes, I went to embassy suites. I got on the elevator and she goes, I just rode up and down with no anxiety. She said before, when she used to get on the elevator, she felt like she was going to fall through the floor. Wow. Um, and then she even mentioned there's a mezzanine level that she walked by. She goes, normally I have to walk way around the mezzanine level. She goes, I, I walked right past it, no anxiety. And so literally with Feinstein's uh, limbic system theory, as I, uh, let me finish unpacking that. Um, the way that you begin to, um, rework how the amygdala responds to a particular trauma is through two things, touch and intention. Okay. So it's like circuitry plus intention. So what that means in essence is we find out where that trauma is stored in your physical system. We might say right liver point, or we might say, you know, stomach point or thyroid or right kidney, left kidney, both kidneys, whatever. Um, and, and then we also get a, a head marker, which kind of gives more data related to the trauma. So, for example, this might be a fear or a struggle that has, has some type of future implication to it, or it might have some type of relational implication to it. But we basically have that person touch those points while at the same time they, quote unquote, put on that trauma. Mm. So they are... They are touching the area of their body where the trauma is stored while they're wearing the trauma. And that in and of itself has like a helium balloon effect to the trauma, to the physicality of that emotion. And then that releases and then they report back. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know why, but I no longer have that problem anymore. That's crazy. It really, really is. Okay. Yeah. And so going back to that example of the, the woman that you referenced earlier, so her fear of heights, this didn't stem from her, you know, having a plane crash. You know, we think of trauma, we think of like huge newsworthy stories, but, but often from what I'm learning, trauma can be, like you said, like falling out of a bunk bed when you're four years old and terrified. Yes. And I, I was working with a, a man in his mid forties and one of his traumas had to do with um, third grade being on the playground and a little girl walking up to him and saying that he was effing ugly. Hmm. And what's outrageous to think about is that here he is 38 years later, and that has still affected his life. Wow. In subtle ways, but nonetheless has radically affected him. And affected his self-confidence. And so you can imagine when you begin to resolve things like that, things begin to shift. And things shift automatically. 
that's the other thing I think is fascinating about this. I have people say all the time, they'll say, um, okay, so what do I need to do now? What do I need? And I'll say, do nothing. <laughs> do nothing. Because what we did was we resolved what was going on behind that behavior, behind that trigger. And so we don't have to do anything. Now, there are times, by the way, that I do give people assignments for other reasons. Um, but often, like in the case of the woman with the fear of heights, um, there was no assignment to give to her. It was just a matter of live your life and watch how you respond differently now, automatically respond differently, by the way. Wow. And this this leads me into another um, thing that I run into where people, and this is, it's so painful to watch. And I know you being a pastor and having grown up in church, I know you've seen this, so you're totally going to identify with this, where someone has experienced a trauma, whether large or small, and they share that with a pastor or a trusted source in their faith community. And they're told, well, you just need to forgive them and you need to release it to God and all will be well. And if they're not all of a sudden better, they're shamed. They're told there's sin, hidden sin somewhere in their life. And, and they go through years of feeling not good enough, not worthy enough, and, and shame-filled because they can't move past this thing that, that's affecting them on their daily life. And so I'm hearing you talk about this and talk about how our body holds on to so many things that we want to be free of, but it's imprinted inside of us. It's like just in you saying that you're validating so many people who have felt that their trauma wasn't worth being validated. It was just supposed to be easily forgiven and, and washed away, so to speak, and never to be heard from again, because they're, you know, a Christian and, and you don't carry things and you let go of it all. And so what would you say to, to someone who has heard that message for so long that, you just need another freedoms class or you need to pray more or you need to fast more in order to be free from whatever this holdup is. What would you say to them? Well, first thing I would say is I am so sorry that you have been the recipient of that. And, you know, years ago, unfortunately, I would have been one of those people that would have given you the same advice. Hmm. Um, and that's really sad, you know, for me, you know, because it's like the more that you grow and the more that you discover um, you know, the more you realize, you know, when, um, you know, you and your own brokenness and your own ignorance gave bad advice. Uh, and so I would, first of all, say how sorry I am that, uh, they've experienced that. Cause I've also been, you know, on the receiving end of that type of philosophy as well. Um, but what I would say to them also is I would say, you know what, there is still healing there. There is hope for sure. And, you know, one of the exciting things about what I do is that, you know, if a problem takes 30 years to create, it, it does not take 30 years to reverse. Um, oh, that's so good. That's hopeful. That's so good. Yeah. yeah. And, and because it can be, in many cases, it can be immediately resolved. In many cases, immediately resolved, regardless of how long you've been in that pattern. Wow. Wow. That's so hopeful. And, and again, and what I love, everything that you've said so far, it's, it's validating to people's stories and their experiences and the realness of their anxiety or depression or whatever symptoms they're having. But there's also this thread of you have this human body that you've been given that is amazing. 
Mm-hmm. So amazing you can hold on to these things, but also so amazing that with given the right tools, they can be released and freed from them too. And um, gosh, there's so much hope in that. Absolutely. It's very exciting. Oh, I have loved this conversation so much. And I'm, I'm sure so many of my listeners will want to know how to get a hold of you. So what are some ways that you can be found? Well, um, I can be emailed. That's an easy way. Um, you can email me at J-L-E-E at LeeInnerFitness.com. And that's uh, Lee, L-E-E, Inner, I-N-N-E-R, Fitness.com. Uh, um, so that would probably be the best way to get a hold of me, honestly, uh, to start there. And um, there's also a website where you can read more that can be really helpful. And, and I have a different email address on that, by the way. I'm also Jim at Splunkna.com. But if you get on the Splunkna.com website, that's S-P-L-A-N-K-N-A, Splunkna.com, you can begin to read and some of the blogs and some of the descriptions of uh, some of the science behind it, some of the, some of the theology behind it, and that can be really helpful as well. Awesome. I'm going to make sure I put a link to that in the show notes. So, um, it'll be readily accessible for people to find, but Jim, I just want to take a minute just to, to thank you, not only for taking your time for this, um, conversation, but, but just for allowing your story and your work and, um, your empathy. I, I just, I feel the empathy all over you and I'm sure you carry that with you into your work. And so, I just want to thank you for the mark that you're leaving on this world in this time. And it's such a vital time for the message that you share. So thank you for giving that gift to the world. And thank you for your kindness and your, your tenderness towards topics that, that a lot of people have, have felt a lot of shame over. So I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for that. Well, thank you. And it, and it is a blessing to be with you on your program and, I would commend you as well about your passion for wanting to help people grow and move forward. And, and um, you know, God has a purpose for all of us. And uh, we're so much happier when we lean into that. And uh, what you and I are both trying to do is we're trying to help people remove the hurdles that keep them from fulfilling their purpose. Mm, that's so true. Because you're right. We all have such a beautiful life to live. And God has so much for every single person, no matter their story. There's so much that lies ahead. So Jim, thank you again so much. And we'll have to have you back on the show. I would love that. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.